aerodynamic affirmations designed to keep your spirit soaring high. You're listening to We Fly, a podcast. You're here for me. And that's the place to start. And I say, hey, hey, what a wonderful time of day where you can learn to work and play and get along with each other. Who is your favorite character on Arthur? Francine. Francine. She just did what she wanted to do. She liked to play outside. I have to go with Brain. Brain was my dude. Brain was the goat, y'all. I could definitely see Brain being your favorite, James. I think Buster annoyed me so much. He was a tr- he was chill, and you know what? That might have been one of the first and few instances where the white guy was the um, the sidekick, and the brown guy was the main character. Hmm. Little known, little known black Things history facts. Hmm. <laughs> Arthur was really. <laughs> A show about black families <laughs> Nav- you know. navigating the educational system and wildlife and wildlife. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back for another wonderful episode of We Fly, and we are still on our series talking about black mental health matters, a holistic approach. Hooray! Yes. But (laughs) the subject for today is we're talking about depression. And this uh, particular part of the series is called Flight Delayed. What is keeping us from flying? What are some of the mental burdens, some of the different forms of baggage, some of the hurdles mentally that is keeping us grounded and how do we take control how do we find ways to navigate those obstacles uh we're talking about some of the things or the symptoms of depression and individually how it has affected our lives we're also talking about flight maintenance talking about the different procedures and the different types of inventory that's necessary to maintain a state of elevation. We're trying to not only address depression the best way we can, but we're also trying to be aware of the resources that can help keep people in the air. And we basically decided to do this episode because we see a lot of people stuck. We see a lot of people 
who are doing phenomenal things, but they don't feel phenomenal. We want to address that. Absolutely. And um, I was thinking depression is something that is very near, though not necessarily dear to our hearts. I know it has played a big role in our relationship, mainly because when we first started dating, actually when we first started talking, you know, the kids say talking, we... um. I told you that depression is something that has been a part of my life for a long time and that I was by no means healed as in past tense, but it was something that I was working through only having recently gotten the language to um, name not only my depression, but my anxiety. And mm-hmm. a part of my healing journey has been to really only surround myself with people who value me, who validate and understand, or at least attempt to understand my experience. So it was important for me to share that off the top. And um, certainly it has continued to be something that I am living with, but working through um, and managing. So we definitely wanted to highlight it because we talk about it a lot with each other, talk about it with my family, talk about it with a lot of my friends. Um, You know, it's something that a a lot of us are dealing with. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. Um, so we're gonna start it off with a check-in. How you feeling today, James? I'm feeling really optimistic and productive. Today I woke up, and if I don't meditate through actual meditation by taking that ten to fifteen minutes in the morning to sit in quiet and just meditate and reflect about my life, then I might do it in another way. I like to read books for like 30 minutes to an hour. So I just find different books that seem to sync with me and my spirit and my energy. And I'll read a book for an hour in the morning before I start my day. That means I have to prioritize that. And the particular book I'm reading right now is Warrior of the Light um, by Paulo Coelho. And excuse me if I pronounce the author's name. The author of The Alchemist. The author of The Alchemist, which is a phenomenal book if you read it. And if I might share the one of the passages from the book that really has inspired me today, it is getting to that page um basically this is talking about the decisions that we make that everything is about time everything is about patience so i took these words to help me throughout my day to stay focused and remain calm because there's a lot of stuff going on in the world a lot of political chaos going on a lot of negative energy but there's a lot of beautiful positive energy out there a lot of beautiful people a lot of beautiful smiles a lot of beautiful creation and these these words helped me out today so it says before making any important decisions declaring a war moving with his or her companions to another plane, choosing a field in which to sow seed, the warrior asks him or herself, how will this affect the fifth generation 
of my descendants. Mm. A warrior knows that everything a person does has enduring consequences and he needs to understand what kind of world he or she is living behind for the fifth generation. Mm. And I carried those words around with me throughout the day and I'm definitely going to carry those words with me throughout the week because my decisions you know in the moment are about me but they're really about the future everything I do is for the future so with my check-in I'm still focused on providing unique and wonderful resources to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. So I feel very optimistic, but I'm very realistic of the dangers that exist in our current society. And I want to do my best to shed light on the truth as much as I possibly can. Sarah, how are you feeling today? I have been very sad for the last couple of days today saw a little bit of light but for the most part I've been struggling um, to feel motivated and to feel encouraged you know when you're kind of just going through the motions I have a lot of work that I have to get done on a regular basis and uh, I've been able to do it but um there's definitely just been a weight on my heart a pain in my stomach I've just been sad haven't really been able to call it um you know besides all the things that are happening in our countries like you can't you can't know what's happening without being in complete shock unless you are a nazi so things are scary and even though i uh you know believe in spirit and i believe that we're working towards something better and as i mentioned before you know there is a a raising of consciousness and a return of that divine feminine energy and all of this evil is really just lashing out trying to do a final hurrah trying to claw on to to what they had and i get that that doesn't make it less scary mm -hmm. and uh yeah so i've definitely just had a weight in my chest and um felt like crying mm -hmm. a lot so that's my check-in. I'm grateful to have people who love me. Mm. That's important to remember the, the good things, but to be realistic about the things that are toxic, yeah. knowing how to detox from them. So by saying that, what's your intent for today? What was your intentions for today? So I meditated in the form of yoga today. I'm still doing yoga with Adrian, which has been cool. I'm behind. And um, so today was day eight for me. And it was focusing on serenity. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I intended to be present in that practice. Mm -hmm. And my intention is to continue to be kind to myself. Okay. Because I'm familiar with my depression, I've come far enough in my journey to be able to name and identify my feelings, even if I can't quite place their origin. Mm -hmm. So just to remember to be kind to myself, mm -hmm. you know, if I need to rest, let it be okay to rest. And also, uh, 
I started doing the bullet journal. Thank okay. you to Crystal. Crystal really helped me out in setting that up. And uh, one page that I made was a synchronicities page, synchronicities in real time. Mm-hmm. And um, because I no longer believe in coincidences and believe that everything is happening for a reason and there's sort of a divine energy that is lining things up, I wanted to make note of those, of all of those things. And even within my sadness, I am able to just see my dope network of uh, magic black women growing. And even, you know, not just black women, just a lot of people who are showing up and standing up and doing what they need to do. I'm very aware of that. So that was my intentions, to be kind to myself. And even in my sadness, see that things are lining up, you know. If I can keep my focus on that. But real quick, I just want to say that's really hard. You know, uh, I struggle with wanting to maintain a positive focus and sort of keep my eyes towards the light. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like the balance is apathy. You know, when you're not paying enough attention, you want to be informed. You want to know who all is struggling in this moment. You want to be able to add your support, whether it be money, whether it just be raising attention, but I, I feel the stuff so strongly, and that's just a, that's a challenge. That's something that mm. I struggle with regularly: how to pull myself out and um, you know focus on the light, but be informed and be involved, and not feel like me saving myself in that way is is me saying, "Well, I don't care," because that's not it. Mm. I do care, and I, I'm hurt mm. by all that is happening right now mm-hmm. so yeah well speaking about intentions for the day for me i think i set my goal in my my sight on strengthening my listening skills mm-hmm. because like when we began this relationship we both came to each other. We said, this is our mental state. Mm-hmm. This is what we're working on. This is what we're doing. And I think it was so crucial in that beginning stages of our relationship to be a, a, a comforting ear, to be good listeners. And mm-hmm. I try to practice that. So today I set my motives on strengthening my listening skills and being more empathetic to the narratives that I constantly engage in with mm-hmm. different people. There's tons of different dialogue that you might see on um, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or just um, face-to-face. And I am I think I am a good listener not just because I'm a musician, not just because I'm a percussionist and I have an ear, but a, a good ear for music and other things. It's just because I really care about people's stories. And when you tell me your state of well-being, when you tell me how you feel, I listen. And I think that's crucial because when we're talking about depression, where we're talking about where we have friends and family members 
who feel like they are trapped where they feel like they're surrounded by darkness mm-hmm. and they don't know how to express that when they do express it if they are willing to you know be vulnerable if we're not listening we'll miss it mm-hmm. but basically we're going to talk briefly about that later on in the show we're going to talk about some of the unhealthy characteristics of depression in black families. I would like to really talk about depression in the personal sense for me, mm-hmm. starting from where I come from and how I was raised. And I'm glad everyone who listened to the first podcast, they got a chance to listen to our family members and I hope their narrative shed light on who we are as people. Their words were encouraging, their stories were encouraging, and we hope anyone who listens to the first podcast, they were able to take something away from that. So, you know, you heard some of the narratives of my family, but my depression started with the idea or construction of what family is or what it looks like Mm -hmm. and I'm adopted I do not know my birth parents I was briefly with my birth mother uh, for some time until she gave up custody of me Mm -hmm. and my sister so me and my younger sister we were in and out of foster care Uh, well foster homes not foster care foster care is the actual organization so foster care or foster homes are temporary custody for children so you can move in and out of homes for a very long time until someone says hey we're willing to adopt you Mm -hmm. and with that you always feel like you're picking up and leaving you always feel like you're moving from one thing to another without having time to really get settled in Mm-hmm. You know, you keep meeting these strangers all the time. So dealing with depression, for me, I start to develop uh, separation anxiety. Mm-hmm. One, from not being able to see my mother and waiting for her return. Because a lot of foster children, they think, oh man, she's coming back or he's coming back or my parents are... They're somewhere, they're just doing something to come and get me. Hmm. And every time you move from one house to another house, it feels like you're being taken away and they're hiding you from your parents. Hmm. So you rebel, you act out, you, you are mischievous because you're thinking like, well, maybe if I act up enough, they're going to send me back to my real parents. Mm. So just dealing with that as a little kid. Mm -hmm. And then as I got older and I was finally adopted, moving on with the state of my depression. How old were you? I was, I think when I was adopted, I was maybe 13. So I've been in foster care since I was six or seven, really young. Mm Mm-hmm. So when I talk about my family, it's kind of hard because I have a lot of family members. 
because of being in foster care. Like I could tell you about, I had a mother who was a teacher and then I had a mother who was a nurse and our father was a disc jockey and I had another father who was a handyman. So like the idea of community, I learned that in this weird way. But um, when you're young and you're depressed, you don't see it like that. You, you, see, you see everything as the enemy. So, okay, fast forward growing up, I still have those separation. I still have those different forms of separation anxiety. I'm still um, worried about relationships, how long are they going to endure. Mm -hmm. So I try to deflect love. I try to push love out of my peripheral, if you will, because in my mind, I'm like, I don't want to get attached to anyone because they're just going to leave. Mm -hmm. So growing up with that and also fast forward being a young adult, now I am with a loving family and it's very new for me. So before you're adopted, you're placed with the family for a trial error period of time. Mm -hmm. You're getting to know the family. The family's getting to know you and and it takes time. And you were adopted with your sister. I was adopted with my sister. Mm -hmm. Also, in the beginning stages of that trial period, I was so unfamiliar with the words of, of parents. Like, that was weird. To say, call someone mother, to call someone my father was very weird. So I addressed them as Mrs. and Mrs. Smith. Maybe after two years of being with them, I, maybe I started to say mom and dad, mm -hmm. but it took some time because these are strangers mm -hmm. taking you in their home and they're like, well, we're your family now. It's, it's not that Superman thing where, you know, you're a baby and you happen to be, you know, the last survivor of Krypton. No, you're, you're, you're a rational thinking individual who sees people as strangers and until um, proven otherwise, you don't trust people. Mm. And that's one of the uh, crazy consequences of being in the environment of, of foster homes and being a foster child. So fast forward, I'm adopted now. I'm with this family. I'm still learning how to be a son. Mm -hmm. I'm still learning to figure out what my role is in this family and I grow up I'm, I think I'm doing very well for the most part because now I have this loving family and they take care of me and no matter how how much I lash out no matter no matter how much I act up in school they continue to care for me and love me and I acknowledge that and I love that it feels really good but I, you really don't know how depressed you are until something tragic happens and Whatever shaky foundation you're standing on, it buckles. But when it buckles, it completely collapses. Mm -hmm. So towards the end of my sophomore year of high school, going into my junior year, my father got sick. My adoptive father got sick, and I just called my father. And he had diabetes. But, you know, anyone who has anybody dealing with di uh, diabetes and dialysis and things of that nature... If they get sick, they get really sick, mm -hmm. you know, and he got an infection in his leg 
and they had to amputate below his his knee. So they amputated wow. a part of his leg, and it was crazy for me because I was like, "That's a strong man," and it was one of the the strongest men I knew mm -hmm. because though I had different male role models, he was the one that I was closest to because that was the longest family that I stayed with because they adopted me. Right. So after his leg below his knee was amputated, I thought, well, like, you know, maybe he's going to learn how to walk and come back and all that good stuff. And sadly, he passed away. So that was very traumatic for me. But you know how most people cry and they grieve. I didn't do that at all. I just closed myself up. Because I was like, these are my emotions. I always had to survive for my own self. I'm in this thing alone. If my mother did not want to provide me with this protection, I'll have to do it myself. So when he died, I really didn't take the time to grieve. Hmm. And once again, that shaky foundation my depression was sitting on was really, you could hear pieces of drywall and cement just falling down. And then as time progresses, my father's brother passes away. And that's really troubling for me too, but I didn't handle that well. So once again, I am, I'm the epitome of super masculinity. You know, I am this toxic, I do not expose myself. I'm a robot. I don't really share my emotions. I can make you laugh because that's one of my coping mechanisms, deflect people away from me. And then fast forward, you know, now I'm a young man, I'm in college. That's when things really took a turn for me because here I am thinking I'm this, this person mm -hmm. built on depression once again from all these different sources. Mm-hmm. And in college, you know, there's a lot of revealing things going on. Uh, college will reveal a lot of stuff about you. Mm -hmm. So while in college, I was in a relationship. I think for the most part, me and that individual, we truly loved each other to the best of our abilities. Mm -hmm. But we both weren't at our best mental state. Right. So the breakup in college, plus all the stuff that I've been dragging with me, exploded. Mm -hmm. It exploded and I didn't know who I was for a while. I was trying to figure out who I was. And I had to question everything. What am I becoming was the question. What am I going to do about this was the question. Long story short, my senior year of college, when I graduated, I had the wonderful opportunity to do a little traveling. I went to Asheville. I was able to go to different parts of Knoxville. And I was able to hang out with one of my close friends who opened his doors to me where I was able to read, research, meditate, and reflect about what love meant, 
what self-love meant to me, what are some self-care strategies that can help me gain the habits of constantly affirming myself, what does masculinity mean to me? Mm-hmm. How do I use my skills to help myself and the world out? So I had to basically redraft who I was because who I was in the past wasn't helping out and I wasn't happy. And when you finally come upon that realization that you're not happy, when you have this epiphany like, yo, I'm really not happy and I haven't been happy for a very long time, that's when you have to re-strategize. You have to plan and create a different blueprint. And that's what I did. I literally sat down, I grabbed a notebook Mm -hmm. and I wrote down, who is it that I want to be? How do I want to love myself? What what do I see as far as love is concerned? How do how do I see that in myself and other people? And from there I start devising this organized journey or path, if you will, which is still it's sporadic, it's spontaneous. The journey was still it's it, you know, different signs, different People have come in my life and said, hey, here's some wisdom. Here's some wisdom here. Here's some wisdom over there. So it wasn't just a straight path. But for literally, I redeveloped who I was as a person. I feel really good. I feel super optimistic because I kept practicing happiness. I kept practicing building a reservoir for what happiness looks like for me. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and basically, in a nutshell, that's my little story about dealing with depression. It's not something that I necessarily think that just goes away. Right. Because to me, and through my research, I feel, and once again, I'm not a psychologist, but I will say this, energy is important and is crucial. And for me, I had to understand that I do have negative energy and I do have positive energy. You can't stay at one level. No one can just be happy all the time, but no one should be sad all the time. There has to be a balance. And knowing the difference between your happiness and sadness is crucial. And it sounds simple, but it's not the social norm to start to have those conversations, I guess, when you're younger. I don't know if people are families and I know they exist where people are having those conversations when someone is young in their youth, but to say, my child, you have these two energies about yourself and this is how you use that energy and this is how you use this energy. I think that's, that's important, but, um, in a nutshell, it's been an ongoing process. I think for the most part, I've found personal strategies for me that work that helps me stay balanced and I'm doing my best so you might have pointed this out already but what were some of the things that maybe changed 
that you did differently, thought differently when you first recognized that you were depressed? I know you talked about like have basically things blowing up after the breakup in college. And um, once you had that realization and you recognized there's work that I need to do and you were committed to that work, I wonder what type of things you started to do differently, like, I don't know, listen to different music, not go to certain places that you may have gone before, stop eating Cheetos because, you know, Cheetos are triggering, anything like that once you had the realization and then committed to doing the work. I think what I started to do was think about my childhood Mm -hmm. and I started to become reflective. Because I felt like my childhood was horrible. And it was actually really cool. But because I was depressed, like, life sucked. Life was very shitty. <laughs> like, like, everything was horrible. Basically, I said, I need to go back to my past. Mm-hmm. And I went through, I really, as my mother would say, I nitpicked mm-hmm. all the different events of my youth. And I had to talk to my inner child, if you will. And I had to say, this was okay. Or that wasn't okay. But we're going to work on this together. Mm -hmm. Because I was ignoring my inner child. I was ignoring the base of my humanity. And I said, I gotta, I gotta love that. Mm -hmm. You know, I gotta strengthen that. I gotta I got to make this stronger. What does my inner child want to say? Who is my inner child? So I had to get in touch with who I am. And then I I start to remember, I love reading books by very dim lit lights at night because we had a bedtime. You know, I I remember just being like, all right, I want to turn my little uh, globe on. I had this globe light and I would turn it on. I read books in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. and I would just read books. And I was like, that makes me happy. And then I was like, I like watching anime, you know, that makes me happy. I love watching black and white movies. That makes me happy. I love cooking. That makes me happy. So I went back to my my inner child and I had those conversations. And then it progressed. I moved towards my diet. I said, okay, nostalgic food items that I really like was like pizza. I'm from Buffalo, y'all. So I like pizza and chicken wings. I love steak subs, you know, Jim Steakhouse, uh, Lenovas, Bocce's. I love all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, wait a minute. When I drink milk or eat cheese, it makes me feel lethargic. It makes me feel tired. It makes me feel drunk. Tons of mucus. I don't feel clear-headed. I don't feel like I could really get my thoughts together so i had to cut that out i cut out milk i cut out fried foods if i eat fried anything i do it myself more salads more water Uh, i know in the last episode it was like water 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 drink it drink it drink it but literally drinking more water has given me a clear focus on things Mm -hmm. like i just think clearer like there's a problem i'll be like i got it Versus being in the past, like, man, I'm too tired to think about this. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing with depression. You feel so tired because you're always fighting yourself. 
and you're stuck in one energy. You're like you're stuck in one gear in this car. You're trying to do all this thing. If you're in a stick shift car, you know that you have to switch gears to get up to a certain um, RPM. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not good with the the technical aspects of a, a, a you know a stick shift. But once you get to a certain gear, you gotta switch to another gear to get to a certain speed. And when you're depressed, you're just stuck in this one gear trying to do everything at that one gear. And I was just tired and I was tired of being tired. So I, I had to look at myself and be like, all right, what gives you energy? And like I said, I went back to my, my childhood and I reflected about that. I reflected about my diet. And then I said, as an adult, how am I going to go into the future as a whole person, as a complete person? I wanted to figure that out. So I looked at what I was taught in school. I, I looked at the religion that I practiced growing up. I looked at the social norms that I followed and I deconstructed everything. Because, everyone, time is an illusion. <laughs> time is an illusion. You have all the time in the world. And I took time back. And that's the thing that helped me out. Word. I know um, when we first started dating and I shared with you my own depression journey, I was very impressed by your willingness to discuss your mental health and be yourself and be yourself mm -hmm. and um just talk about that journey because like we just said mental health is something that a lot of us face whether we have the language to discuss it or not whether we have really the privileges or access to resource to help deal with it but uh you were one of the first men that I met who was like, yeah, I know exactly about that. And these are the things that I've done and these are the things that I'm doing. And um, this is how my depression has impacted me. And I was just like, wow, that's a thing. Mm. You can be like that. <laughs> so and in, in the beginning of this episode, you you talked about how you felt concerning what's going on in the world would you care to share a little bit about your depression the journey of that towards uh health or mental clarity yeah definitely um one of the things that struck me when you were sharing yours is just your feeling of uh separation anxiety and not necessarily feeling like you had family. And then you later realize you just were blessed with lots and lots of family. For me, I um, grew up in a very close-knit uh, family. Um, and so when I started feeling and experiencing depression, and then later in college was the first time I got the language and the diagnosis, one of the factors that added to my depression was you have this great family. Why are you sad? Mm -hmm. You know, what do you have to be sad about? What are you depressed about? But um, a great deal of my journey took place in college. And college is when I got the diagnosis. 
I can go back to further than that, though. Um, you know, my family and I were on Gullah Gullah Island on Nick Jr., very early part of my life. And that was really regular for both me and my younger brother, Simeon. You know, our parents were television personalities. And every year, we would go to Orlando for part of the year, all of the kids who were part of the cast or you know children of the cast we all had this tutor it was very regular and you know we all burst out singing for real all of that stuff when Gullah Gullah Island ended uh we went back home to our hometown in Beaufort when they were no longer filming and that is when I went to public school for the first time before that I went to a, a Montessori school if you're unfamiliar, that's a really like hands-on learning environment where um, I just remember we learned how to balance checks and we got to do cultural projects and public school is not like that. So public school was a big awakening for me and because I had always been such a shy little girl, when I got to this new environment of public school, my shyness was perceived as... Uh, being stuck up it seemed like you know everybody just decided that I thought I was better than them and I thought that I was better than they were because my parents were who they were and these were things that they projected on me but I can still feel that isolation mm -hmm. um of what what people decided about who I was and for a long time I've tried to make myself smaller mainly because of that because of those messages I got in fourth grade eight years old about who I thought I was and so even presently I'm still unlearning that I need to be I need to make myself less than so the next person doesn't feel uncomfortable mm. I think that definitely played a big role in uh my mental health challenges I was diagnosed with depression in college. Thankfully, we had uh, on-campus counseling that was included in our tuition. And I, um, I took advantage of that. My grandfather passed away while I was in college. Our house, my family home that we grew up in was foreclosed. You know, we were caught up in the mortgage crisis and, uh, what's that, 07, 08? And, um, you know, school is hard. And so while, I had a conversation with my mom saying when I was eight years old in the fourth grade is when I was introduced to blackness in this way that my peers were like, this is how you act if you're black. And if you don't act and speak <laughs> like this, then you're not really black. And these are the things that black people do. Also, you know, you can't be too black. And by too black, I mean dark skin. That's not cute. You know, mm. the lighter, the better. That was the first time I came across people who were like, I don't want to be out in the sun. I'm going to get too black. Mm -hmm. I had I never come in contact with anybody like that. My family, obviously, as all of our families do, came in various shades. Mm -hmm. And um, all summer long when we would be in Orlando, me, my mother, and brother would uh, see who could get as dark as my daddy and Papa, my mother's father, because they were black and beautiful. And so it wasn't until eight years old, fourth grade, that I learned this definition of blackness. Um, and in college, I went to the College of Charleston where... Uh, Black people represented 3%, and that's when I learned something different. Mm. And I think that had a 
big role in how I felt. You know, like you say, when you're coming into college, you learn things about yourself. Yes. And so I was in this new environment as a minority. I was very obviously a minority. I um definitely did things to find resources, but you had to go out and find them. They weren't up in your face at a um, predominantly white institution. And I struggled. It was really hard. I was really sad. There was a lot of food. Um, <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot of eating. A lot of eating. I remember one of my, me and my homegirl would like order whole pizzas, and this is when this movie, um, Indiana Jones movie, came out, and Papa John's was selling like double XL pizzas, and like we each ordered one and ate it by ourselves. And, uh, wow. like, to the point where the Chinese, when the delivery man from the Chinese restaurant knew who I was. So, if I moved to a different address mm-hmm. and he came and delivered my food, he'd be like, oh, this is where you live now. Because wow. that's just how serious I was about eating my feelings. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... That was hard. School school was hard. I was actually, um, I failed two semesters, not um, back to back, you know, consecutively, but at different periods. So that made my college career five years instead of four. And um, I just had a really hard time. I don't want to get into it much now because I know we're going to talk about uh, sexuality at a Uh, on a a later episode but just trying to figure out and learn my sexuality and learn what I liked and didn't like that was a struggle Mm -hmm. and um I feel like because we don't always have mentors who talk to us about sexuality in a healthy way Mm -hmm. and I grew up you know, with very open, loving parents and family. There were certainly standards. I grew up in church. But um, it wasn't like, don't have sex or you die. You, you know, <laughs> you definitely, <laughs> you you wait till you're married. But there was no, I didn't understand sex the way that I understand it now. And that's mm-hmm. certainly not to suggest that I'm like a guru. Mm-hmm. But when I look back at my college years and some of my depression had to do with uh, my sexual experiences, some sexual assault, just mm. sometimes being sexually involved with people who did not like me because mm-hmm. I did not like myself. Mm. Um, I look back now and think if I had known then what I know now about the power of my energy, about the power of my sexuality, about the power of who I am, mm-hmm. I would have gone about things differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, my last year, my fifth year, call it my super senior year, my victory lap. Yes. I lived off campus and, um, 2011 was a horrible year for me. That's when I failed three writing classes because I just could not go to class. I just didn't go to class. You know, I maintained other things, but not class. Mm -hmm. And, um... My professors were gracious enough to give me extensions. Mm -hmm. And then I left school for the summer and didn't do any of the work. So failed those three writing classes. Had to repeat them this fifth year. Living off campus. 2011 really sucked. 2012, I was like, all right, Sarah, you know, 
you have to get out of this school. <laughs> you have to get out of here. You know, you don't know what you're going to do, but you're going to have to get out. And I will say, even before that, I was on antidepressants. The first round of antidepressants was Zoloft. Um, 2010 to 2011, Zoloft made me not care about anything. So I wasn't like sad. I just didn't care. Mm. Everything was gray. You know, you see the depression commercials and it's like you in a gray cloud and it's just around you. I wasn't sad. I wasn't happy. I just didn't care. And that's not a good headspace to be in in college. That's not a good headspace to be in when you're constantly attracting men who don't mm. care about you. Mm-hmm. Um, not a good space to be in when there's nothing but fatty foods all down King Street for you to eat every oh, hour and d- night. Delicious fatty foods. Yeah. Oh, it was bomb. Kicking chicken, five guys. But, um, so yeah, I got off Zoloft and I can't even remember the details now. I just know I weaned myself off. Mm-hmm. And so I still struggled. But 2012, I was living with two of my good friends off campus and, um, me and one of my roommates, we had a falling out, a really rough falling out. And she used to be my ride to campus on certain days. And so without that ride, I had to walk to school. And like, you know, the walk is nothing now, but it was three miles a day walking to College of Charleston and back from my neighborhood in the east side. And so it's interesting when you think about things working out for good, because I knew things had to change. I knew I wasn't happy in college. I gained like 50 pounds. You look good, though. Thank you, baby. You was was killing that. I was I was killing something. <laughs> I was um at my heaviest I was two oh nine. Beautiful. Two oh nine. But because I had to start walking to school, I started losing weight. Mm-hmm. And um the beginning of that year, me, my mom and my sister Sabrina, we started a forty day detox challenge. And you know, everybody got their different definitions of what really constitutes as a a detox but we just cut out all the white stuff Mm -hmm. the only meat we ate was fish and eggs and you know heavy vegetables and fruits and so i started losing weight and i started gaining clarity and since then i've just continued to do the work but i would be lying if i said like you know in 2012 there was this you heard the angels like ah and then everything was just good and i was just Cause I was not, and I have stumbled and fallen several times since then. Mm-hmm. Think, uh, like you mentioned a relationship, a relationship ending my sophomore year actually of college was also really damaging. Um, and I can look back on all of those relationships and all those involvements differently now, not necessarily with love or compassion for them, but at least mm-hmm. love and compassion for myself. Mm-hmm. understand who I was and where I was and why I was attracting that energy but yeah depression has hit me a lot of different ways a lot of different times let's talk about the symptoms of depression what are some symptoms to look for for people who might not be aware that they're depressed or? I have a list 
right here some symptoms and how about you just like make a little affirmative sound if these are symptoms yeah. that you've experienced you, you want me to give you the mm or, or the yeah the the um call and response the that's call what and i'd response. like yes okay all right and i'm reading from this article entitled the new face of depression the strong black woman mm -hmm. and it's actually two years old but i've seen it resurfacing on social media which is important because we always need to talk about this well also the article it states uh the new face of depression the, the strong, strong black, black woman. woman now though it is referencing depression and black woman um we have found that these particular symptoms uh they're genderless yes they're genderless. No one. Any one of us can get anyone got. Anyone can get it. Uh, black men, teenagers, young children. It, it doesn't really matter who it may be. It doesn't matter about your your sexuality, your, your gender, your creed, your family, your height, the, your weight, the depression, your race. Depression does not discriminate at all. So for all the male listeners who are listening to this podcast, we want you to understand that this pertains to us it pertains to everyone so what are some of them symptoms sarah a persistent sad anxious or empty mood or excessive crying mm -hmm. reduced appetite and weight loss or increased appetite and weight gain mm -hmm. persistent physical symptoms that do not respond to treatment such as headaches digestive disorders and chronic pain irritability restlessness Decreased energy, fatigue, feeling slowed down. Mm. Feelings of guilt, worthlessness, helplessness, hopelessness, and pessimism. Mm. Sleeping too much or too little. Early morning waking. Loss of interest or pleasure in activities, including sex. Difficulty concentrating, remembering, or making decisions. Mm. Thoughts of death or suicide or suicide attempts. Mm. And I know I can personally relate to probably all of these symptoms except attempting suicide. But I've mm -hmm. certainly wanted to die um, mm -hmm. at some times. And um, I remember when I used to go to counseling in college and when you start a medication, um, you know, you have to go back and do your check-in. And they always ask, okay, are you having suicidal thoughts? Mm hmm and I, I would always think that was so funny. Like, I want, I mean, doesn't everybody wonder how would everybody act if I was dead? Is that a suicidal thought? Mm. But I remember the first time I had a suicidal thought. And I was just like, if I was not here, I would not feel like this anymore. Mm. I would not feel this pain. I would not feel this empty and lonely and chaotic if I was not here. Mm. And, um. I have had those thoughts more than once. And now I have had those thoughts too. Yeah. Because when you're stuck at that level, when you're stuck in that energy, the energy feeds off thoughts like that. Mm -hmm. it, it feeds off bad emotions. You've been living off that energy so long. It's like a uh, some form of leech and it's in you. And it needs you as the host to feed it. Mm. And it particularly, <laughs> I would try to say the word, it particularly loves negative energy. It particularly loves chaos. It loves mayhem. So I remember having thoughts like that too. 
you know, and I had to say to myself, is this me or is it the energy saying that? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, this is not me. That's the energy. That's the combination. That's the confusion. And that's what it does. One more thing is that I, uh, at some points, have been very pessimistic, very self-deprecating. Okay. And I've noticed that in my mental health journey and my journey towards healing, because I am so cognizant now of the power of my words, the words that I speak over my life, that where I would usually be like, Sarah, you ain't shit, or girl, you just dumb, or why the hell did you do that? Like, I might Mm -hmm. think those thoughts, Mm -hmm. and they're sort of like my natural go-to. But because I'm so cognizant, now it actually tastes funny in my mouth, if that Mm. makes sense. Like, it feels weird. So I'm aware that I'm used to it, but I am consciously, like, even if I feel bad, it's like, all right, but you know that's not true. And so I just want to shout myself out because... You got to tell yourself good job. Shout out to Sarah. High five to you. Shout out to me. High five to you. And I like, you know, the words you described as as saying the phrase of, it's a bad taste in my mouth. For me, and I'm not knocking anybody who who eats fast food from any place. I was an avid fan of it once, you know, once upon a time in my life. But when we're talking about depression and, and my process of healing, it really was washing out that particular uh, taste, Mm -hmm. washing that particular taste out of my mouth. Like, for instance, if I go to McDonald's right now, the fries taste really weird. The the burgers that I used to love taste really weird. And the thing I I noticed by being a, a person who loves food, who cooks food now versus in the past, I didn't cook a lot of food myself is that when you take the consideration to pick your ingredients and you pick your particular spices and you do all the uh, selections of the things that you're gonna put in your body, you have a deeper consideration for them and there's a, a lot of love in that. And when I would go to these fast food places and eat food after I started my, my health journey, it would just taste criminal mm. it, would, it would taste so toxic and so mm. like violent like mm. i i just was like i can't eat this it, something was wrong with this these burgers something was wrong with these fries it just it it and um and i would like drink the uh the pink high sea that i used to love from mcdonald's mm-hmm. and whatever i ate from mcdonald's or burger king or any other fast food restaurant it would like taste poisonous you know and i think that's where you're starting to know that you're making a lot of headway you're you're breaking uh down a lot of barriers or obstacles when it comes to your depression when you're like the same things that used to make me sad that somehow because you you have to understand it's an addiction mm-hmm. and and when you come to it again from a healing place you'll start to say this was not good for me 
And that's know? a really hard thing to talk about when you think about addiction. I remember um, one of my mother's good friends, and I grew up with uh, knowing her. So she's like an aunt, Miss mm-hmm. um, Barbara. She's a healer, a master of many um, forms of healing. And I remember once talking to her about my depression, her saying something like, you know, you get something from this bad feeling. Mm-hmm. There's something about it you like. And I remember being like real upset that she said that that's when I was working at this job I hated. Mm-hmm. I'm like calling you for help and you just telling me I like it and I don't like it. But um, mm-hmm. to understand, and I, I think the language I would use is that it's familiar. Mm. The feelings of depression and hurt and just feeling down on myself are familiar. And so as I was saying with the, with the language, the self-deprecating language, it's easy to fall back into those feelings and those habits because they are familiar. They are familiar. Um, I still struggle with saying, you know, I like it. I don't I don't think I ever liked it. I don't ever want to feel like that. I don't think I ever sought out, you know, people's sympathy in those feelings. Certainly felt misunderstood. Probably way, I probably felt way more misunderstood than I actually was. But um, it's something that you get used to and familiar with and there are some ways i guess that your body responds to these emotions and these feelings that you're used to so that's a kind of hard thing to talk about and i think the further you are on your journey um it changes the way that you think about it but i know i can certainly look back at a places that i have felt really low and um Almost just like, you know, I, you, you're you up, you got a split decision. I could either go this way or this way. And this way is the one I'm used to where everything sucks yeah. and I cannot move. Yeah. And, you know, it takes a little bit more effort to say, okay, Sarah, take a deep breath. You know, just count your blessings. Try to do a push-up. Drink a bunch of water. It takes a little more thought, but um, it's becoming... That is becoming more familiar, mm-hmm. and that's really cool. Well, that brings me to the i to this that the phrase of habit. By you saying that, habit is the key to everything. Right. Habit and repetition. I'm a percussionist. I'm a West African percussionist, and we have. Well, if you know, if you play drums, you play the uh, you play the trap. Uh, you play the drum set. You play a quash, you play the snare, whatever it may be. We have to learn rudiments. You have to learn the rudiments. Mm-hmm. And the way you practice the rudiments is the way you'll play them anywhere. You know, if, you, if they're sloppy rudiments, that's the way they're going to come out. If they're real clean and everything, your hands are equal, uh, balanced energy for both hands, everything is going to be really sharp and clean. So it's all about practice. And I, I never thought about my depression as something that I practiced and mastered. Mm-hmm. You know, I always just like, oh, it was just there, you know. I actually cultivated it in different ways. Like, I actually watered it, and I mastered it. Mm-hmm. I mastered being sad. Like, it's a, it's an art, y'all. It's an art to the chaos, if you will. Like, there's a there's an art to peace. You can master, you can master peace. You can build a habit of making very good decisions. Like people get this idea and, you know, because uh, of ignorance, personally, I had that ignorance too, that just 
good luck happens. Mm. Like good decisions just, oh, I just made a good decision today. Right. You know, I just uh I just did something really well. If imagine if you practiced that all the time, if you mm. had a reference for those good decisions, for those points and places of happiness, um, cultivating that. Mm-hmm. And you start practicing, you start practicing love, you start practicing trying to perform the best decisions that you could possibly make mm-hmm. and it becomes a habit and it just becomes easy and after that you start to understand that energy is balance mm-hmm. and it's about it's about uh, self-mastery if you will but I, I never thought about it in that in that context that you, you can really master particular types of energy we all we all understand that depression is the context of everyone's experience will differ. Yeah. Your and depression your depression didn't look just like mine. Not at all. And vice versa. But the feelings are valid. The feelings are valid and they're mm-hmm. real. I hope everybody gets gets to that point where they understand that it's valid and um there are things that we can do to move forward. And they take time and they take practice and they take repetition and it's hard. It is hard. And I'm not, I want to repeat, I'm not like, oh, everything is all good now. Yes. Some days are still so hard, especially now. That's why it's really more important, really maybe more important than ever to prioritize our health and our wellness so that we can stand mm. and tell the truth and find joy and love one another and have good experiences and again just speak truth to power and to do that we have to be able to think clearly we have to know how powerful and wonderful we actually are Mm -hmm. absolutely and now that we talked about the symptoms how have you been patient with yourself and your healing process and what are some of your strategies for acknowledging your depression first but also figuring out how to balance your energy mm-hmm. so you can know when you're depressed first being always in a depressed state and thinking that's the only energy you have what has been some of the the healing initiatives in your life well a few things i'm big on therapy Mm-hmm. I'm a big therapy advocate, and I am grateful that I had the opportunity to go in college. I had good experiences in therapy and bad experiences in therapy in college, but um, that's always been helpful. Also, my family, my particularly my mom, um, have always been very open about their own struggles with mental health and um, mm. you know their own battles for clarity. So that has always been helpful. I started therapy again last year Mm -hmm. and I'm not in it now, but I was really grateful to just be there and talk with someone. So I'm like the friend, like if you saw um, Insecure, um, old girl that she saw on the street and was like, I got therapy, you should get therapy. Let's all go to therapy. I feel great. That's me. Like, girl, you better go to therapy. And and I don't mean to cut you off, Mm -hmm. but was so... What was peculiar about watching that series Mm -hmm. was that towards the end, you know, people were rooting for Issa Rae or they were rooting for um, 
her boyfriend. Right. And because I think we have been on our path for healing, we've mm. been on that path or that journey <laughs> <laughs> towards healing that we was like, they were both wrong. Yeah, we were just in a different space. I will say that, like, after I watched the finale, and um, if you didn't watch Insecure and you still waiting to see it, I'm about to spoil it. But um, after I watched the finale, because we're all, and I mean just, like, black people and my contemporaries, we're all in this, like, sex positive, you're not going to shame woman for being herself, we could do what we want, you know, we support each other, we love each other. I got on social media and I expected to see everybody feeling like me. <laughs> like, well, everybody was wrong and clearly everybody does need therapy and we can certainly relate with every single character. And that is not the response that I saw. People were really in their feelings about about what happened. And yes. I don't not understand. I do understand why mm. they felt that way. But... I know that I would have felt that way at a different time. True. I, I would have felt some type of way about that whole series. I would have been rooting for, yeah, the dude was right. Right. And what's weird about it, dealing with masculinity and patriarchy, um, identifying those terms and knowing how I contribute to those philosophies and ideas, mm-hmm. I had to, as I matured, or matured, as I matured in my, my healing process, I had to look at those and say, are you causing me pain? Mm-hmm. Are you causing other people pain by working through me? So I had to navigate and uh, deconstruct those ideas as well. Those form forms of methodology as well, because they weren't healthy for me. Mm-hmm. So it was amazing to to see all this wonderful content by these beautiful, black, powerful women that are addressing these issues that seem so ta- taboo to people. Yeah, they're you taboo, know? but so regular. So that, like, I wrote this blog about it, and it was really transparent. I really put myself out there because... I was just so surprised to not be able to find anybody to engage with about how I was feeling. So I was like, oh, mm-hmm. let me just say how I'm feeling. And um, one of my cousins hit me up and she was like, well, actually both of them, all three of my um, older female cousins who I've looked up to all my life responded in the same way. But one was like, you know, you said some things I would not have said. Mm-hmm. I would not have said that, but mm-hmm. you can't act like we haven't all experienced that exact thing, those exact things. And so... That's what it was like for me. Um, I could see myself in each of the female characters, and I certainly was involved with men like the um, the men depicted in yeah. the show. So, you know, kind of went off on a tangent, but we love Issa Rae and can't <laughs> wait for more success. And still on that tangent, there's a new YouTube series called Giants, directed and starred in by James Bland. Mm-hmm. And it's also co-starring Vanessa Kelly, who used to be on Gullah Gullah Island. Yep. And it is really, really dope. Uh, they shine light on living with depression along with adulting. I won't say that everybody who is trying to adult is depressed but i know a lot of people who are depressed and are trying to adult so it was just really great to see that depicted on screen to know you're not alone so definitely check out giants and check out insecure and secure and then 
getting right back on topic. So you said therapy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you mentioned medication yet. No, but... I didn't get there yet. Okay. So besides therapy, what are the other things that you're doing in your life to um, contribute to your health journey? Mm-hmm. Um, I journal. Mm-hmm. I try to be pretty consistent with journaling every day. I started doing yoga Mm -hmm. and exercising. I have found that even if I don't exercise every day like I would dream and want to, if I'm feeling real chaotic and real overwhelmed, if I can just get up, pull myself up and stretch, Mm -hmm. do do push-ups, attempt to do Mm push-ups, I'll feel a little better if I just get my body moving some small bit. And I'm and I'm saying if I can get myself up because I know that that's hard. Mm-hmm. When you're in that, when you're in that space, when you really feel stuck to the bed. True. So True. if I can get myself up and get moving, drinking water, like you said, <laughs> is keep, really a big deal. I know deal. we keep saying, we keep talking about water. But... And my friends always be like, well, you know, Sarah be talking about water. But look, y'all, there are places in the world, there are places in this country where people don't have adequate drinking access to water. They can't drink the water. We know Flint, Michigan, it's 2017. They still don't have access to clean drinking water. We know different parts of uh, Louisiana, different parts of Florida, some parts of Georgia, some part, there are some parts in your own hometown where you don't drink the water. So if you have access to clean drinking water, please partake of it. There are people fighting for that. Just keep that in mind. So water, journaling, exercising. I check in with my friends. I try to be in touch with them. And it's really cool because a lot of my friends struggle with mental health, but... We are always so committed to supporting one another. So if I text my homegirl and I'm just like, everything is shit and the world is gray and I just want to die. And she'll be like, you know, I understand exactly how you feel. And you can, you you know, allow yourself to feel like that, but you're awesome. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we're magic and we're doing really great stuff and I'm proud of you. And that's a big deal to me. To reach out to people who love me. Like I was saying earlier, acknowledge this network, this sisterhood that's just growing and multiplying and reach out. Because when I reach out, people reach back. I am on medication again now. Uh, My last episode in therapy, which was extremely helpful. I want to talk a little more about that experience later. But um, towards the end, because I was getting ready to move from the state my therapy sessions were ending and I finally got on Wellbutrin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Wellbutrin. And um, one of the cool things about it is that she kept suggesting therapy. I mean, medication. I was like, no, I don't ever want to do that ever again mm-hmm. because I had such a negative experience. But I just happened to be tweeting about antidepressants. And this black woman who I really only sort of know hit me up in uh, my direct messages and was like, try this. And this is the experience that I had when I was on Zoloft. And it was the exact experience I had. And she told me what to expect with Wellbutrin and it was exactly what she said. So shout out to her. Um, I found a lot of clarity in a sense that 
you know, the fuzziness that people who struggle with depression may be familiar with, the Wellbutrin sort of clears that out of my head a little bit. Mm. It's like a little static that just makes you feel like, you know, I would, I want to do these things, but I just can't get out of bed. It sort of helps you get out of bed. Mm. And so I appreciate that. I do hope to be able to manage the illness without it, but that is by no means um, because, you know, I think I'm weak or that people who are using depression, are using medication are weak. I don't think that at all. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, Really, the only reason I even think about it is because it costs money. And I do know that um, outside sources can alter your body, but I'm grateful to have found a resource that works mm-hmm. for me. And it's wonderful to see you engaging in those resources and to see you taking the initiative to seek those things out all the time. That's wonderful and that's powerful. Talking about depression with you was so important because we we know about the internal origins of our depression. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we we might forget the external sources of our depression. Mm-hmm. And for everyone out there who is depressed who is black and who is depressed. We know that history shows us that oppression is real. White supremacy is real. Colonization is real. Toxic masculinity and patriarchy is real. They're real. And they have corrupted the spirit of millions of people billions, gazillions of people globally. And we're part of the aftermath of those particular negative ideologies. We're part of that. And every day we're healing from that. Every day we're trying to see the value of ourselves because we are constantly in different situations where people are saying that we are less than. Look who is the president right now. Look what's going on in the White House. But historically, this is not nothing new. But the depression is not new either. The ways that we look at mental health in the ways that we, for example, the two of us manage our mental health mm-hmm. will be passed down to our children in the form of epigenetics. Okay. What is epigenetics? Uh, I think I, I know a little bit of, about it, but you, could you tell me more like the term epigenetics? So I'm not going to say it great because I understand it, but not well enough to explain it. The first time I was induced, introduced to the term was listening to the friend zone. And um, that's a great podcast. They're all about mental health and wellness. And their um, tagline is because nobody wants a musty brain. So definitely hey. check them out. But... Uh, yes, for your mind. Um, epigenetics, I looked it up. The definition is the study of chemical reactions that influence gene expression. 
through activation or deactivation of genes at specific times and locations. Mm. These changes in gene expression do not involve a change in the DNA sequence, meaning there is a change in phenotype without any change in genotype. Mm. Although epigenetic change Although epigenetic changes occur regularly and naturally, they can be influenced by various factors such as the environment, lifestyle, age, and disease state. Epigenetic modifications can sometimes lead to adverse effects that can cause diseases such as cancer. Mm. So my take, um, having not been certainly a scholarly biology student, is that genetics is the code on top of the DNA. Okay. And um, there are genes, so to speak, that we can turn on and turn off based on our choices and our decisions Mm -hmm. that for our descendants can be passed down in that same way. So you might be born with a certain gene turned off because those before you turned that off Mm -hmm. or turned it on. Um, Even... More interesting example I heard, I, I think I mentioned that I went to this wellness clinic because I was dealing with a lot of illness mm-hmm. and we were learning about eating healthy and vegan diets. And one of the things you can pass down is taste for salt. So like you just, you know, don't necessarily care too much for salt mm-hmm. and your child will have the same taste or desire for salt that you have. So if I just love salt and pile the salt on all the time, I could give birth to a child who craves salt mm-hmm. because that is something that I passed down on top of my, my epigenetics. And you think about things like diabetes running in the family, mm-hmm. and that has more to do with Choices we make and environments and genes that can sometimes be turned on and off. Not even just for us, but those before us that gets passed down. So in a weird way, you could pass down. If I'm giving my child these survival skills mm-hmm. through my mental state, I can like impose that on their genetic code. Absolutely. How you respond to certain things. I think the example on the friend zone that they gave... Of course, I'm going to forget it now that I want to mention it. Okay, well, I actually read this one as well. It was an article talking about how they tested this rat, mm-hmm. and they basically wanted to cha- train the rat to be terrified of a cherry blossom plant. Mm-hmm. So every time they would present this rat with the cherry blossom plant, they would give it an electrical shock, mm. you know, trying to uh, basically train it to be terrified. So, you know, after a little while, they didn't have to shock the rat for it to be terrified and respond, you know, violently and, and scared to this plant. Mm-hmm. And the offspring of this rat was scared of cherry blossom plants. Mm, because not only was it transposed and placed in the genetics of her offspring, but the offspring just knew it. Yeah, that, you know, that like, there was something was turned off or on, yeah, so to speak. I see. That's, so that That's very to... interesting. So it it almost we know from our history, we know from the bloody history of how we got here, that maybe those uh, fight or flight 
characteristics and traits mm-hmm. that is in all human beings and animals. One of those particular traits was, hey, you need to be quiet to survive. Mm-hmm. You need to hold everything in. If you if you are outspoken, you can die. Mm-hmm. And in a weird way, that pain, that hurt, and that fear said, no, I can't just let one emotion come out and let another one, you know, not come out. I'll just silence them all. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see how that has transferred to how we deal with depression currently. Something else that was really interesting to me about epigenetics and sort of changed the way I think about different things specifically was this idea that your bo- you train your body to respond mm-hmm. to certain things a certain way. So the example that um, she gave on uh, the friend zone was that, you know, if you drink often when you're stressed, mm-hmm. you drink, that's your, that's your response to stress. You drink and your body naturally begins to release enzymes mm-hmm. responding to this alcohol that you're putting in your body. Mm-hmm. So that perhaps if you are stressed and you don't drink, Mm-hmm. Your body still is going to naturally release these enzymes in response to your stress. Mm-hmm. And then you can pass on that biological response to your children, mm-hmm. which might actually influence them without your knowledge or theirs to crave or desire that same method of coping with their stress. Mm. So if it's a healthy form of coping, that could be transferred to the offspring absolutely it can be transferred and that really changed the way that i think about racism Mm. um i mentioned in the previous episode how i wanted to practice compassion my friend crystal hit me up but she was like how is that working for you because i don't have it yet i don't have it either girl i don't every day i don't feel like you know donald trump let's just hug it out i don't Mm -hmm. ever want to hug him um But thinking in terms of epigenetics and racism, Mm -hmm. we understand post-traumatic slave syndrome. We understand that all this trauma that our ancestors have experienced, that those emotional and biological responses have been passed down to us, along with the everyday trauma we're, we're seeing right now. But in that same way, those oppressors who may or may not actively engage in racism, Mm-hmm. When you think about like, how could you think this way? What is what what earth, what world are you living in? And then you think about the switches that have been turned on and off for mm-hmm. generations mm-hmm. in a, in a demographic. <sighs> I intend to practice compassion, period. But it, it it allows me to think about it differently. Do I think everybody needs help? Yeah, we all need we all need help and we are struggling. I think I read something like 75% of the country struggles with depression and that, you know, obviously just notes the people who have been diagnosed. I think it's important that while people are on their health journey or maybe they're discovering like, oh, I am depressed. To look at our families, to look at our our social environments, to look around our social atmosphere, if you will, to see the things that might be aiding that depression, you know. Um, But we know it's not always 
like a clear cut road to detangling depression. Mm -hmm. We know it's not just super easy. Like you just, you know, you just wake up and be like, ah, man, everything's great. What was I doing? (laughs) Silly me. I was treating myself horribly. I'm a-okay now. Mm-hmm. No, it, it takes, it, it definitely takes time, time and patience. So we're at the end of this episode and I basically want to give a shout out to a powerful resource. Um, going into the show, we didn't just want to talk about depression and be like, all right, we'll have fun guys. Go on and, um, you know. Figure it out. Figure it out. You know, that's how we get down. Just figure it out. Peace. No, we um, we actively sought different resources that was creating spaces for change, for the change of mental health holistically. And uh, one of my shout outs goes to Dr. Amber Thornton. She's a clinical uh, psychologist. And she has a 21-day self-care program. It's designed to help and develop and jumpstart your own self-care routine. And with this program, you'll be able to bring discipline and habit to your self-care practice. If you want to know more about her work, you can visit her at www.dramberthornton.com. And you could find her at, uh, this is all lowercase, Dr. Amber, D-R-A-M-B-E-R-T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N on Instagram. And another resource for you is ilivefor.org. It's a great resource for people of color dealing with depression. Another place, if you're looking for a therapist, we know that everyone's healing strategy is different. Um, If you're looking for a therapist, you can go to African American Therapy. Uh, therapist.com and this is a place where they give you a directory for therapists in your city and one of my last resources is um it's a wonderful poet by the name of roscoe burnham's and he has a book called fighting demons please purchase it please support it's a powerful narrative about depression relationships and everything in between So you can find him on Facebook at Roscoe Burnham's and we'll have all those particular links and names. I have three resources as well. The first one is a blog called Postpartum Mama by Graham Seabrook. She is a pregnancy and postpartum coach, self-care coach, mother of two, a postpartum depression and anxiety survivor. She is living with PTSD and fighting for better mental health care for all mothers. She is a great person. She actually recently published a list, an article called Mental Health Resources for Women of Color in which uh, she featured We Fly podcast. So we really appreciate that. Check her out. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Graham. We hope to have her on an episode in the future. We're drinking water because (laughs) we're we're actually raising our water bottles in celebration of you. Graham. Yes. Raise a glass of water to Graham. Also, another friend of mine is Kenya Cecilia Rose. She is a self-care coach. 
and she says uh, her mission is to empower healers and helpers to create lives of balance and wellness. Wellness is nurturing all the dimensions of our lives to the best of our ability. It is a personal and communal endeavor. And so you can check out her work and um, schedule an appointment with her at KenyaCeciliaRose.com. And Kenya, we also appreciate you sharing the podcast because she really um, gave us a shout out on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, we appreciate the love between all the healers out here just trying to get our lives and lastly a young woman i'm not familiar with would appreciate her work jade t perry and she has created healing in our times project it is a resource list and mini directory of low cost affordable and or sliding scale holistic services for people who hold marginalized identities and she was inspired to do this basically because there are a lot of us out here who are doing the work mm -hmm. basically just trying to survive and within that effort of survival just like we're doing we want to find ways to heal and um, so it is a great resource list that she's broken down into three categories, mind, body, spirit, and soul. And so you can check that out at jadetperry.com. And again, we will include all these links on the podcast for you to be able to find them easily. Indeed. We hope you enjoyed another episode of We Fly we have enjoyed discussing our experiences and origin stories of our depression how we've been healing how we've been coping uh some of the tools we've been using thank you to everyone who listened also we didn't shout y'all out before but we got some really good feedback from um everybody who took the time and checked out our site uh friends people that i don't know former colleagues we really appreciate y'all i'm glad that uh you listened and you enjoyed it and i hope that you stick with us and we also hope that you utilize the resources there's tons of resources out there you are not alone when you are not alone when you're dealing with depression it's about the journey it's about knowing that there is balance there are so many things that you can unlock there are so many ways you could feel good about yourself you could feel good about living but we just want to let you know that we're here um find us on our facebook page we fly say hello to us we're very friendly and just tell us how you feel and we just want to thank you for uh flying with us 